Hello, everybody, and welcome to Web and Beyond Live for March 1st, 2021. I can't believe it's March already. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, president of W3 Consulting and managing director of W3C Web Services, which provides affordable web and WordPress, managed WordPress hosting, as well as other services for small business like domain name registration and other web-related services. And uh, yeah, I've got a bit of an announcement at the end about W3C Web Services, so I'm excited about that. Web and Beyond Live is really my chance each week to come to you and talk to you about those things that I feel are really important in terms of marketing and managing a business in today's age. That is on the web, mobile, social media, and beyond. And so if you're here with me in the live stream, feel free to leave comments, uh, chat along, and ask me questions. I'll be happy to answer those. If you're watching the replay or listening to the podcast afterward, feel free to uh, come on over and ask a question, leave a comment on the video, and I'll be happy to answer those questions as I'm able to. Today, we're going to cover kind of a spattering of different uh, stories that I've been co- I'm kind of watching and, and uh, paying attention to this week. And uh, as well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the new net neutrality law in California and how that has been recently affirmed by the court by rejecting the telecommunications communities, uh, kind of, re- um, you know, trying to set in what's called an injunctive relief, basically stopping uh, the law right now. Uh, and so the injunction has been lifted, and so California can uh, go ahead and, and start using it. So let's get into uh, the news this week and how this relates to your small business. And so uh, first and foremost, I wanted to talk a little bit about the recent discussion around minimum wage increases. You'll note that in the current House bill that has recently been passed as part of the COVID-19 stimulus bill, COVID-19 relief, they have the uh, concept of increasing the minimum wage. The minimum wage has been $7.25 per hour since 2009. And of course, uh, there has been conflict on both sides, uh, you know, conflict from both sides, basically wanting to increase the minimum wage as well as uh, those who, who want a lesser uh, increase, you know, uh, down at the $11 mark, and then those who don't want to increase it at all. And uh, kind of flip side that to uh, one side of the story, and I, I want to talk about uh, Insider, uh, Business Insider, as it was formerly known as, uh, they've decided to raise their minimum salaries for full-time U.S. employees to $60,000. Now, many studies have noted that the minimum uh, kind of uh, living wage is around $75,000 here in the United States, so adjusting that for other countries if you need to. But uh, $75,000 is the minimum. And here we are, we have a, a minimum salary uh, from a company that has notedly been doing well in and amongst the pandemic, uh, increasing their minimum salary to 60000 which means that there were a lot of people in the company who were making uh, less than that. Uh, I don't know what the, what the real number is there, but the whole dynamic around this uh, minimum wage discussion, I think, needs to be had in the small business space. And for you as a business marketing and managing on the web and beyond today, you really need to be starting to think about how this is uh, going to affect you. So while insider raising their minimum wage to a paltry 60,000 uh, is not necessarily going to affect you, uh, this is, which is that Walmart, uh, Amazon, Target, Best Buy, you name it, more and more companies are going to start increasing their minimum wages uh, across the board. Uh, Walmart just recently decided that they would increase their uh, minimum wage to somewhere between 13 and 19 dollars adjusted for location. So, uh, so that 
ends up being kind of an, an average of $15 per hour. Some places will be $13, some places will be $11. They're not really adjusting their actual minimum wage because there are going to be people um, who have $11 per hour in their stores. But last year, uh, in 2018, Amazon had raised their minimum wage to $15 per hour. That should probably be higher considering kind of the hazardous uh, position uh, those employees are in, those workers are in in, fa in in factories and warehouses and so on and so forth. But, you know, that's a that's an argument to be had. We then have Target and Best Buy that last year both moved their employees' minimum wage to $15 per hour. And so we're just seeing across the board that larger businesses are setting that standard, which means that they're trying to compete for workers uh, to work those jobs. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that it's been more than a decade since an increase in the, in the minimum wage. And what we need to do as small business owners is to really take into account how this affects our ability to both find and keep our employees. In this particular case, Costco has decided to increase their minimum wage to $16 per hour, which is above that standard. So if we take that number and we calculate it out, it's roughly about, um, you know, still it's a, it's now above the the uh, poverty line when we when we think about someone who is working a full-time job at that hourly rate minus the social charges, that is taxes and, and social security and other kinds of, of items taken out. Of course, this is a numbers issue, right? And so we have to think about the fact that um, as business owners, we have to manage costs, but we also have to pay enough so that our employees are not um, lacking in productivity. They lack in productivity when they don't have proper health care, when they're not taking care of themselves, when they're being overworked, and when they're not capable of actually doing things in their life that would help them uh, be more beneficial to the organization, to the business at, at hand. Uh, so I, I think we all need to take kind of a, 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 um, a hard, long look at how we think about um, empowering our employees to be the best employees. Plus, the fact of the matter is, is that now if you're paying uh, you know, minimum wage or below $15 per hour, below $16 per hour, and I can go work at Costco, you know, check in, do the bare minimum, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, work and, uh, and make, you know, a, a decent wage, I'm not going to work for you and have to, you know, hustle and grind to make things happen. So now you're going to have to level up your, not only your, your salary, but also benefits and otherwise that you're providing to, to, uh, to employees to make sure that you're bringing them the, a, a good experience. And I think that overall makes for a good business. I think the, um, the funny part is that every time we've raised, raised the minimum wage, in the United States, uh, you know, there has been uh, rallying cries, and this is not political. Uh, we, you know, there've been rallying cries of how the world was going to end because of that. And you know what? The world didn't end, and economies increased, the stock market increased, things got better. Each time we give people more access to capital for work that they're doing, the world gets better. They spend more money. Uh, the economy, economic engine, uh, does well. So, I think this rhetoric around the uh, minimum wage is actually rather weird because this is a bipartisan, uh, you know, most people in the country, you know, support a minimum wage increase. And I think, uh, you know, reasonable minds need to prevail here. And what small business owners need to do is to think about how you're going to put this to work for you, right? How are you going to make sure that by uh, going out there and doing the right thing, which is paying a decent wage for a decent, decent hours work, a decent salary for a decent, you know, roles work, and figuring out how to properly pay people, 
and what you expect from them uh, for that. And I think, you know, leveling up means that you're going to keep and retain better talent. And I just think overall a really good, um, you know, um, perspective to have about employing people. Okay. So I think that's just about all I have to say about that. But it does bring me back to Insider because Insider has gone through this very interesting process that I think is really useful for small businesses in how to rebrand. So what Insider did was over the past 15 years, they've really been going through a process of changing their brand. And it took them 15 years in order to do so. And I think that's right about the right time it takes any good business to change their brand. So you can see in 2007, they started out as Silicon Alley Insider. For those of you who aren't aware, Silicon Alley is in New York City. And so, uh, you know, Silicon Valley being San Francisco uh, in California, Silicon Alley, New York City. And they went through this process of going ahead. Sorry, I keep whacking my microphone today. <laughs> uh, but they went ahead and, and uh, created uh, the the publication. And over the course of time, they dropped the from Business Insider two years later. I'm sorry, they changed their name to the Business Insider, their business focused publication. And they went ahead and changed their name to the Business Insider. And then you can see two years later, they dropped the because that made sense. And then they just did a little minor rebranding, changed the the serif font to a sans serif font in Business Insider. And then now, uh, you know, five years later, from 2016 to 2021, they've now dropped the business part. Clearly looking at an expansion of their services from just being business, so, oh, they're always gonna be a business publication, but they wanna expand into um, more verticals and this gives them the opportunity to do so. This is a textbook example of how a business starts in a specific area and then expands. This translates also in and relating to web presence. Most people come to me and they say, you know what? I'm a business owner who can actually provide services and ship to anywhere in the continental United States. I can ship to anywhere in the in the in the United States generally. I can ship to U.S. and Canada, uh, U.S., Canada, and Mexico. I can ship globally. Why should I limit my um, web marketing, my digital marketing, to just uh, you know just the United States or just to a local area? And the argument I always give is that you're going to have more value in your marketing when you market to a localized group of people who have who are on your home team right and that's what silicon alley insider did they said you know what we're a local publication we're going to use the fact that we're new yorkers and we're producing content in new york to get our hometown on our side and once we've dominated in one place once we've gotten traction in one place then we'll expand beyond that to the broader market it took them a good two years of really working through that before they decided to to branch out and be the business insider as opposed to just being new york based business information or at least a publication associated with being new york city based then they were able to branch out from there and the same thing applies for you as you're marketing on the web and so on and so forth you need to think about who's going to have your back first that's probably going to be the location or the locale in which your business is headquartered start there start with your nearest metro area grow and expand there and by doing the web optimization search engine optimization content marketing and otherwise in that geographic space you're going to build a local community that will support you as you grow into greater and greater communities so expand slowly and make the mistakes locally where you're going to have people who care about you enough to 
you know, allow some of the smaller mistakes. And then as you get larger, you're capable of going on and beyond that. So this is a great example of how you slowly but surely uh, grow your enterprise by virtue of taking over a small area and then slowly but surely expanding concentric circles or going from major metro to major metro and picking up more ground there. Okay, so start with your county, then go to your state, then go to your tri-state, then go beyond that. But don't try and expand too far beyond that immediately out the gate because ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to falter and you're not going to have your local community to support you uh, and have your back because you're going to have broadened yourself too thin too quickly okay so just a good lesson there all right next up i i wanted to switch gears over to uh, brand watch brand watch is a really a powerhouse in the uh, social listening space and now they have been uh, picked up by cision which is a much larger pr entity and now the two of them have now combined and they are going to be a really a big behemoth of a company and so we have these two big players one in the you know consumer intelligence and social media space and then Cision, which has been in the pr space combining together and i'm really curious how this will affect us in small business Cision uh, is actually a company that i've used uh, quite often for releasing uh, public uh, uh, uh released you know doing a um uh what do you call them Press releases, sorry. <laughs> and so these press releases have been really, um, I've, I've been using Cision as the as the PR web and the Cision brand for being able to put out those press releases. And they have been really useful uh, for being able to get that uh, initial traction around some of, uh, of my clients' product launches. And so now with the social component, does that mean they're going to actually help with programmatic ads are they going to be able to help in other ways that really help you understand your brand before you put out those press releases i'm, I'm just very curious how this is all going to uh, pay you know pay it forward in terms of the combination of the two companies but i'm just putting it on your radar that cision is out there and that they do do press release work and pay attention to what they're going to be doing in the social space and are they going to be able to give more information to cision customers by virtue of this uh, acquisition i'm very curious to see what's going to happen there and only time will tell so uh with that that brings us to kind of the next piece uh which is uh just a very quick point about uh, uh, security and that is that LastPass has recently come under attack along with others I mean they're not the only one but uh, this particular Verge article focuses on LastPass having what are called trackers in your software so let's start off with kind of the first point which is that having a password manager in the first place is better than anything else you should have a password manager you should have long passwords that protect you and your business if your business is not protecting itself whether that be your digital marketing account logins or your website logins your email logins or otherwise when those are poor passwords that is a security risk that is like leaving your front door open to your retail store and letting someone just browse on in all they have to do is check doors you know like those uh, thieves do they're checking uh, car doors to see which one's open which one's alarms don't ring uh, same thing with with storefronts or doors in a residential neighborhood people just start checking doors to see if they can't uh, burgle or you know uh, commit larceny on those spaces so you need to make sure that those those digital keys are strong and that means having a password manager okay that's got off my soapbox there next is that LastPass has a set of 
information that they that are that they are starting to track for how people use their applications. They're of course coming under fire, uh, but it turns out that a lot of other tools also have them. Uh, the one with the least number of trackers is LastPass. I'm sorry, one password. One password has zero trackers, so that's a good notch in that direction. Uh, here at W3 Consulting, we currently use LastPass, and we use the business version for being able to share our passwords. And quite honestly, I don't think I've had any issue with LastPass. So while they are uh, picking up some data here, which you know is concerning to me. I think that at the end of the day, uh, this will probably push the company to <laughs> fix the tracking issue. And uh, but there are many others out there. There's Bitwarden, and there are others, all of which uh, have some level of data tracking. It looks like Bitwarden has two trackers, uh, RoboForm and Dashlane. I've actually never heard of RoboForm before. Uh, Dashlane, which is another one out there, they have four. Uh, Last Pass, it said I think had seven. Uh, but these are all not implicitly security risks, uh, but they are tracking information about you which can identify you, and I don't know if that's really the worst thing in the world. What would be the worst thing in the world is someone getting access to your passwords and going ahead and, and logging in. So yes, um, not the best thing, but don't use this as an excuse to not invest in a password manager. Okay, next up is uh, we're back on the, the Clubhouse uh, band here, and I just wanted to cover Club, Clubhouse here because we continue to keep hearing more and more press. You can see the New York Times recently wrote an article. This is, from my perspective, really a fluff piece about how someone was enamored by the social network. Ultimately, what's going to happen is the pandemic is going to hopefully resolve itself uh, in the next six to, to 12 months, and people will go back to some form of normative behavior in the small business world. We'll have retail stores opening. Uh, you know, the summer will hopefully be a little bit more normative uh, because, you know, for whatever reason, we have more outdoor activities, more people will be able to adjust to, uh, to this um, situation. Once that happens, uh, we will see hopefully uh, more people being vaccinated and uh, and the combination of those two things will seem very normal. I'm not sure about the fall. I'm not sure about next winter, uh, but hopefully more and more vac vaccinations, more and more people going back into some normal behaviors, we should see a better sp space. Uh, what happened with Clubhouse is that they came onto the market right at the moment in which everyone was on, in lockdown, people were looking for connection, and they were provided that through this platform. Now, Clubhouse also has some celebrities on the platform and gave access to them. So, you know, I can see how Clubhouse is interesting. All of that is predicated on the fact that after this is all over, people go back to their normal lives, uh, that Clubhouse still has an audience to be able to, uh, you know, gather around the proverbial uh, fireplace, you know, gather around the proverbial fire. And I don't know. I really don't know. I think that Clubhouse is not going to go away. I think that there are competitors like Fireside uh, that Mark Cuban is funding, Twitter Spaces, Facebook has their own competitor that they're launching. So we're seeing lots and lots of folks go into the social audio space. I just don't know if Clubhouse is going to be the dominant one in that space yet. And so from my perspective, uh, it's still iOS only and beta invite only. Uh, and I, I ran out of invites, so sorry. I, I would send you an invite if I had one left, but I don't have any more. Uh, there's not an Android uh, you know, invitation yet. And that caps its growth. And so the slower it gets out to everybody and its capabilities of accessing certainly the Android market, which now dominates worldwide, 
globally. You know, Android is the largest operating system, I think, on the planet at this point, and and it will probably continue to be. And that is in the consumer hands. Linux obviously runs, you know, servers all over the world. Uh, that is the uh, Linux kernel running many different flavors of uh, free open source operating systems. But the the idea here is that you know, uh, Clubhouse can be interesting. It can be useful. If you're looking for venture capital, uh, it may be very interesting to jump in and talk to some of the VCs that are, uh, you know, lurking and, and engaging in particular rooms and so on and so forth. But otherwise, I'm I'm not as bullish on Clubhouse as I am probably on Twitter Spaces because Twitter Spaces is going to be a space where Twitter is going to push that really hard. And remember, media, journalists, and celebrities, influencers are on Twitter. And where where those people are, you're going to see a lot of people aggregate and gather around. And where you have the ability to have persistent content, content that's not ephemeral, is going to be valuable to small business owners. And you know that's why from, for the most part, I don't interact on Snapchat or other places uh, because I'm not a consumer-oriented brand. If you are a consumer-oriented brand and you have a younger demographic, Snapchat is probably a good place for you to be producing content and creating that longevity of content on that platform. And by doing so, you're capable of having content that that audience can see. They're creating ephemeral content with their with their friends and family and so on and so forth, but the Snapchatters are capable of seeing your content and you're not losing it over time. You're capable of repurposing and utilizing that content. In the case of Clubhouse, it's ephemeral. It's, you know, you you are live and then you're not live. So you miss out if you if you don't listen to it. And there's a poss- possible, you know, um, goal of, of using FOMO to drive that, very similar to video live streams, but not so much. So anyway, just to say that I'm still, you know, figuring out what I think about Clubhouse, and I don't think that it's something that you need to jump on if you don't feel the the urge to. But if you want to check it out, you can certainly, you know, find yourself an invite uh, on iOS and go ahead and engage in maybe listening to some Clubhouses and engaging uh, there as well. Okay, um, this is really not useful. Oh yes, so I wanted to close out today with regard to to a discussion on uh, California's net neutrality law, and so the net neutrality law was recently uh, litigated and it went up to the uh, California uh, Supreme Court, I believe, was it at the Supreme Court level? Uh, Let's see. Oh, let's see. Let's see. I'm not sure whether it was the California Supreme Court, but either way, um, I'm I'm almost presuming that it wasn't. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't, but we'll, I'm not, I'm not sure. Either way, um, the judge in the particular case said in essence that, uh, California was allowed to uh, implement its net neutrality law, and so this was uh, this was uh, litigated by various telecommunications uh, industry, uh, you know, lawyers, and in essence, they were basically saying they don't want to be, uh, you know, restricted from uh, limiting internet in some way, shape, or form. So, ISPs or internet service providers are now capable of, of, or they're no longer capable of. In essence, prioritizing bandwidth. They're also not capable of favoring content in California, and they also can't data cap and and um, basically fail service without telling you why that's happening. So there are some interesting pieces of the California net neutrality law here that I think will ultimately become standards across the states, and we need to be able to figure out what that really means. Uh, but that also means for small business owners, we also need to figure out 
really what is happening in our own internet connections, right? What's happening with our own ISPs. And so this is a time to just start asking those questions of your ISP. Are they throttling your data? If you start live streaming and you start seeing some loss of connectivity, that also happens with your mobile services. Are they slowing you down? Right now, a lot of mobile services, they say you have unlimited data, but that unlimited data is only to, say, five gigabytes per month, and then they slow you down to a really slow rate. You you could potentially have different services that are at four, you know, 15 gigabytes, 10 gigabytes, whatever limits, and yeah, great, but the first four are at the highest speeds, the next uh, you know, six or at the lower speeds, and then the the anything after that is really, really slow, right? This kind of, um, I think, uh, you know, wrong practice, right? Which is, if I have an unlimited data connection, I should be able to have unlimited data at that speed, and you should charge appropriately for me to be able to have that speed. And the internet is kind of different than any other utility. Uh, you know, I wouldn't consider it really a utility in that sense. And we need to figure out what that really means. Internet for so many of us in business today equates to being able to be seen and being able to be found. And when we lack effective internet in our uh, areas, that really affects our businesses. And so this doesn't end up being just an issue of, are we supposed to be online are we supposed to be offline? Yes, we need to be online, but when we now need to be online in a rich perspective, being able to go live like this here, you know, if I didn't have good internet, uh, I would I would drop out. I would not be able to be heard. I would have a bad video, those kinds of things. And that ultimately hurts my business. And so I think that this California net neutrality law is going to start to spread like wildfire. Um, poor analogy there with unfortunate wildfires in California. But it's really going to spread um, very far and wide because other states are going to look at how they can regulate those ISPs out of doing what I think is very anti-competitive practices. In essence, right now, a California business now has stronger protections uh, for their broadband internet connections than someone, say, in Missouri or in New York City or otherwise. And we really need to figure out how to make sure that small businesses have a fundamental access right to broadband strong broadband internet connection because that sets american businesses up for greater success if you don't have access to the internet and you don't have access to be able to do things like live streaming like having effective connections to the internet you're handicapping your business including the fact that as we move forward you might decide that you want to be able to have people working uh, remotely or in some hybrid perspective. If those people are not capable, those employees and workers, uh, part-time or otherwise, contractors are not capable of doing effective work remotely uh, because their internet and their broadband connections are, are, are shoddy, that's going to affect your business. So this is not just a you know a, a, a stump point to, to argue over. This is really something that's going to impact a lot of businesses. And so I hope you pay attention. I hope you let your local representatives, local, state, uh, and federal representatives know that you care about net neutrality and that you care about making sure that your business has strong internet connection and that small businesses have a right to strong broadband and mobile strong broadband internet connections and so that hopefully uh, you know resonates with you I hope that you you know call your representatives let them know you care and so that's um, just important to me uh, that brings us to near the end. And I just had one kind of minor note here for those of you who um, uh, have been following us at W3C Web Services. We've been trying to expand the uh, the different types of services we provide. And so uh, we kind of quietly rolled this out. But as of uh, this 
past January, we are now capable of providing Microsoft 365 licenses to our customers. So if you are looking to start uh, using Microsoft 365 in your business or you know startups who are, uh, we do have the ability to provision Microsoft 365 licenses. If you go to web.w3cinc.com, you'll be able to see under email, it's under the email section, but if you click under email, you'll see Google Workspace. We've been able to provide free trials to Google Workspace. And if you uh, need a promo code, I think we still have some promo codes for folks. So if you uh, want to get a discount on your Google Workspace, feel free to touch base with us. You use the little free trial and at the time you set up the free trial, you have to set up the, the, the promo code at the time you set up the free trial. So don't start, uh, otherwise you're gonna lose out on the promo code. Uh, but you know, they're in Google Workspace, we can give promo codes and that will take you over to the Google Workspace site to start that. But on Microsoft 365, we're actually capable of provisioning those licenses uh, with, within your own account on W3C Web Services. And so we did that in partnership with Microsoft. And uh, so you can uh, go ahead and find that on our site there. So we're very excited about that. And it's a whole new service line for us. And we're excited to be able to provide uh, additional services to our uh, clients. So that's kind of new and fun. And so we're looking forward to growing uh, that service line. We've got some new web and beyond webinars uh, that are scaling out soon. Uh, the first one is going to be announced hopefully uh, very soon on our website, on our events page. And so you can uh, find that at any time by just going to w3cinc.com forward slash events, which is the URL on the screen. And of course, uh, we have the Web and Beyond community. And so if you want to join us at any time, just go to www.webandbeyond.community and you'll be able to go ahead and join and find us at webandbeyond.community. And so with that, that brings us to the end of our time together. Thank you so much for joining and spending this uh, live stream with me for Web and Beyond Live. If you've enjoyed the video, feel free to click the thumbs up icon. That helps us make new small business friends. And so thank you for doing that. If you have a question, feel free to leave a comment. You can tweet or message us at W, the number three consulting, at W3Consulting on Twitter. And you can join us every Monday, typically around 11 a.m. Eastern. So you can go ahead and find us at 11 a.m. Eastern uh, here on that. And we've gotten a new website. So webandbeyondlive.com just went live. And so now you can watch the live stream on that, but you can also watch watch any prior ones as well. If you want to interact, like leave, you know, chat or leave comments, you do have to click the button, you know, hop over to YouTube and you'll be able to ask questions. And otherwise, if you're watching on Facebook live, or if you're watching on Twitter live, you can watch, continue to watch there as well. But those of you who want to watch directly on the page, and uh, if you go to web and beyond live.com, you'll be able to find the current uh, live stream embedded right there on the page uh, going forward. Uh, what else? Oh, there was one other item, which is that uh, for those of you who are interested, I am running a free masterclass uh, around Evernote called Going Further with Evernote. So if you go to focusatwork.co, which is our subsidiary, focusatwork.co forward slash Evernote masterclass, and I'll put it up on screen for you. Uh, we do have one starting on March 15th. It'll be a five-week uh, masterclass. There'll be five sessions. They start at noon on Mondays, and so there'll be just, uh, I think there are hour 15 minutes long so an hour of talk time uh, you know about 15 minutes q a but i'll be covering all kinds of interesting pieces about how to use evernote and using it for personal productivity so if you're interested in that you can feel free to head over to focus at work.co forward slash 
Evernote Masterclass and sign up there. There's a free option. And then if you want video replays, our live office hours, which are basically a time to meet in a Zoom room with me and uh, discuss, you know, maybe implementing uh, Evernote in different ways uh, during that time frame. And then, of course, access to any templates that I've created or other pieces of that of those materials. Those will all be available in the premium course. And the premium course for going further with Evernote also includes our basics course getting started with Evernote. So it includes the recordings from that prior masterclass as well. So focusatwork.co forward slash Evernote masterclass. And that starts on March 15th. And so uh, with that, thanks so much for spending this Web and Beyond live with me. I'm Ray Sidney Smith on behalf of W3 Consulting and W3C Web Services. Have a great week ahead marketing your small business on the Web and Beyond. Bye, everyone.